Well, good evening. Um, as always, um, it is a joy, and I mean it when I say it is a privilege uh, to stand here, uh, to gather here together on the Lord's Day. Um, I think sometimes we can fall into the monotony of uh, coming here on Sunday and going home throughout the week and coming here on Sunday. Um, and I think that we, I'll speak for myself, I think that I uh, can forget what a privilege it is to be able to gather here, Bible in hand, God's Word in hand, open it up, read it, and then be able to rest in the promises that he's made there. And so that's, you know, kind of the one thing I want us to um, understand, at least as we're about to jump into this, is that we indeed have a great privilege to gather together and to open up God's word. And we will see in our story today that one of the reasons we have that privilege today is because God kept his promises in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at together this evening. Now, there's sort of two things before we jump in to our scripture reading. Uh, the first thing is we're trying a little bit different tonight. Uh, going to go non-manuscript, so whenever I blank out and don't exactly understand where I'm going, uh, get lost in my train of thought, uh, just hang in there with me. I have a, a couple notes. We'll jump back into it. Um, if not, just bear with me. We'll pray at the end and uh, get to take the Lord's Supper together and it'll be good. Um, so yeah, that's always something to look forward to. The other thing that I want us uh, to kind of do before we read our scriptures um, is to put on a set of lenses. Um, put on a set of lenses that as we approach uh, this upper room, this last little bit of Jesus' talk with his disciples is to understand that he is not talking to you. Okay, he is talking to his disciples. Um, now there are promises and there are benefits. As we even just said, we have a privilege to gather here this evening because of these words. Um, but Jesus' words in this text are not to you. Um, when I first started teaching, I taught at an Episcopal school, and um, maybe the only great thing uh, the priestess lady told me was that the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. And that's a principle that we can use tonight. We started our series in John's Gospel in John 20, and we heard and we saw there that John's Gospel was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. And when John said you, he meant you, his audience, his hearers, anybody who would encounter his gospel. But whenever we see this story tonight, it's Jesus saying you, but he's speaking to his disciples. Okay. And um, it's kind of the thing that helped me process this um, on looking a conversation that I wasn't directly involved in, but reaped the benefits of were thinking about growing up. Um, we didn't go out to eat very often growing up. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, but when our parents said we were going to go out to eat, we all got really excited because that meant we weren't eating fried bologna. So we piled in the back of the car and we sat in the back seat and we were eagerly anticipating, okay, where are we going tonight? And my dad and my stepmom would talk and they would figure out, you know, kind of where we're going. Uh, not quite as democratic maybe as some of our parenting is today. We weren't involved in the decision-making process. We were just excited that we were going somewhere. And so they would kind of go back and forth and we would watch and uh, they would usually decide that we were going to like Duck Inn or something like that. 
and we would be excited and we would reap the benefits of that conversation between them by nature of being in that family, but we weren't directly involved in that conversation. And so that's kind of what's going on here in the story today. There is a conversation taking place that we aren't directly involved in, but if we can kind of enter into that upper room, listen to that conversation, then we will experience benefits by nature of being in the family that's going and that's having that conversation. So kind of with all that in the background, with those lenses on, let's stand if you're willing and able and let's read God's word together this evening. We are in John chapter 16 and we will read uh, verses 5 through 33. And remember, when you hear, I know I'm belaboring the point, but when you hear you, he's talking to his disciples, okay? Hear God's word. We'll start in four. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again in a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again in a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father... So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you shall not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 
I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world, the Word of God. Thanks be to God. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of His Word, and may He grant us all the grace to trust and obey it. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so I know that was long, but I hope maybe because it was long, it enabled you to sort of remove yourselves from it and understand that this is a long conversation going on between Jesus and his disciples. And this is the end of what uh, we call the upper room discourse. He's been talking to these disciples uh, since chapter 13, um, and this is sort of the end of it. And, and what I want us to see is the first thing that I mentioned, this is speaking to the disciples, um, but I want us to see and I want us to enter into their experience and see why they might have latched on to some of the things that they latched on to. Okay, I think maybe, maybe some of you have read this passage before and you have latched on to the good things there. You see good promises and you see the promise of the Spirit and you see um, Jesus sort of tinting things things with good, and those are the things that we're tempted to latch on to. But if you look and you see the response of the disciples, you don't really see them latching on to the good things. Uh, they sort of gloss over those good things, and they tend to focus on the bad. Now, those of us that that may be our personality anyway. Maybe that's 12 guys and that's their personality. Um, but I think it's, it's deeper than that. I think um, it has to do with their experience. And if you think about it, if you had been in that room with those disciples, my wager is that you too would have glossed over those positive things. This is a man in Jesus that these men have tied everything to. They have tied their hopes, they have tied their dreams, they have left everything behind, and they followed Jesus. They've seen amazing signs from Jesus that no one else could ever do. They've seen him turn water to wine. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him feed thousands with five loaves and two fish. They've seen him raise people from the dead. And they have believed that this is the Messiah. This is the chosen one who has come to undo all the curses that we've experienced as God's people. He's going to undo them and he's going to make everything right. They have seen amazing things from their friend. 
And they haven't just seen amazing signs from Jesus. They have heard amazing things from their Lord. He said things like, He is eternal, that He has existed with the Father from forever. He said that He has the power to forgive sins. He has life in Himself. And they believed Him. And they followed Him. And they went into war and they went into battle against the religious elites and the political rulers of the day. And they thought, He's going to fix it. He's going to overcome. And then what does Jesus do? Well, you heard last week what He told them. He said, yes, some of you are now going to be persecuted and you're going to be mocked and you're going to be killed. And what's more, I'm going away. I'm not going to be here. I'm leaving you. Is it any wonder they passed over the good things? I mean, think about the dread. Think about the sadness and the confusion that you would have felt had you been one of those disciples. And so they glossed over the promises that Jesus gave to them, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. So I want us to forgive them if they gloss that over, and I want us to learn a little principle here. Sometimes I think we are so excited about the good things that Jesus gives us, we could kind of take or leave Jesus. And we tend to focus on good things, on blessings that He's poured out to us. And so Jesus Himself... But I think the disciples had it right. I think they heard the good promises, but what they wanted most was the presence of their Lord. They wanted most the presence of their friend. They wanted to be with Jesus. And he tells them no. So learn that from them. He is speaking these words, these hard words, these scary words to the disciples. And because he says these words to them and he keeps his words to them, we're going to get to experience some blessings from it. And so do they. But I don't want us to do it right away. I want us to dig a little bit deeper into some of those good promises that he has for the disciples. Because if we dig into those, we'll be able to make some indirect applications for us. So look with me at John uh, 16, 7. We'll first look at verse 7. And I know I'm belaboring this point, but we're going to hit it hard because we need to hear it in the church. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now again, there are indirect applications. There are things that we believe about the Holy Spirit dwelling with His church, dwelling with us as individuals. But in this text, in Jesus' words, He is saying specifically to the disciples that I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Comforter, I'm going to send the Paraclete to you. He's not talking to you, not yet. He's talking to the disciples, and that's really important because we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does for the disciples in particular before we make application for ourselves. Look at verse 13, and we can see that the promise of the Holy Spirit to the disciples is for specific reasons. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, 
But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, why is this important that he is speaking specifically to the disciples here? Well, one reason is because the church has taken these few verses, ripped them completely out of their context and said, the Holy Spirit is for me, going to lead me into all truth and going to help me declare the things that are to come. And so we'll take a couple of verses that are actually in the Bible and we will think that the Holy Spirit is for us to give us some secret knowledge of what job should we take. Um, where did I lose my keys? I've heard someone tell me the Holy Spirit told them where they lost their keys. Because of this verse, the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth. That is not what's going on in this text. If you think and if we think that that's what's going on in this text, we will have bad theology, we will have unrealistic expectations of God, and we will be disappointed in a text that is supposed to bring deep, deep comfort to us. The, pro the promise is to the disciples that they will be given the Holy Spirit, that they will be led into all truth, and that they will be told what's to come. And we talked earlier when we first started that Jesus kept that promise, and because he kept that promise, we are opening our Bibles and looking up and down at the words that were revealed to John some 60 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because he kept that promise to those disciples, we can read things, we can glorify Jesus and see minuscule minutia that's absolutely beautiful. Five pieces of barley loaves, two fish to feed thousands. We can read that today because God kept his promise to the disciples in the upper room that evening. That should comfort us. That should comfort us. That's what the Holy Spirit did for the disciples. That's the promise Jesus was making to those disciples. And as beneficiaries and as people in God's family, we get to reap the benefits from it. Okay, so that's first. That is the promise to the disciples. Now, what I want us to see from this is um, not just some historical account, okay? I don't want us to just look at this text and say, okay, that's something that happened 2,000 years in an upper room. Jesus is talking to the disciples. I have a historical account. No, there are promises to us in this text, and we will look at those now. Some of them are direct promises, and then some of them are indirect promises promises, but like as we're learning to read our Bibles, we'll see that maybe we don't identify first with the group that maybe we think we should. So look with me and we'll see some direct promises that are there for us implicitly when Jesus is talking to the disciples. Look at verses 8 through 10. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit to the world. The Holy Spirit has come and was promised to come and he was going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your lives, in my lives, in the lives of everyone not in that upper room. The Holy Spirit has come to convict you and to convict me of our sins against God, of our rebellion against God. 
of our refusal to submit to and to obey his law. That is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict, convict the world of the righteousness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit in your life will not just convict you of sin, but it will convict you of the righteousness and the sweetness and the perfection that is in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will convince you of your need and cause you to long for Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit will convict you of judgment. That you deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. But Christ was judged on our behalf. And because that judgment took place, we can have peace and we can have comfort and we can have security in Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. You are sinners in need of Jesus and because of Jesus, God loves you and He comforts you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit for us. And so if you don't find yourselves wrestling with sin, if you don't find yourselves growing in the love and knowledge and desire for Jesus, if you don't find yourselves growing in the comfort that Jesus was judged on your behalf, the Holy Spirit may not be working in your life. But if you do, be encouraged. Be encouraged that you are growing more sensitive to sin. Be encouraged that you long for Jesus even though maybe you don't feel Him like you think you should. Be encouraged that God promises comfort for you even though you're uncomfortable right now. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit for the world in this text. So that's the direct relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit from this text. Again, I do want to emphasize there are other places in Scripture where we learn more, but we are in John 16, 5 through 33 tonight. All right. So if that's kind of confusing for you, don't worry. As always, you are in good company. The disciples were confused. <laughs> they were in the room having the conversation and confused. Fast forward 2,000 years, we're not in the room, not in the conversation. Okay, you can be confused. Look at 1619 with me. Hopefully, um, Jesus' confusing metaphor will clear it up for you. Uh, 1619, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're saying, asking yourselves what I meant by a little while and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he goes into some story about the pain of a woman in childbirth and how the anguish of childbirth, again, without meds or um, epidural, any of that business. Um, back then, the anguish of childbirth, um, no offense, was probably worse than it is today. Um, but so he goes into this metaphor and says the pain and the anguish um, is nothing compared to the joy that takes place once the life 
is brought into the world. And those of you that have um, been in that experience, have been in that room, um, can maybe start to identify a little bit. Sometimes metaphors do a good job bringing us into the story. Um, so if you've been um, in that room and you've experienced that pain and you've experienced that anguish, um, but then also gotten to experience that joy when that baby is born, um, maybe you can start to identify with this story. I know for me, um, whenever Bailey was born, uh, Rachel and I cried and cried and couldn't, we were like, why are we crying? And we're looking at each other, but we were bawling. We were so overwhelmed with joy. And I know it was really comforting to me because my back was hurting, uh, my legs were really tired, and so the anguish of childbirth really took its toll on me. Um, she's not here, so <laughs> I feel like I can get away with that. <laughs> And it's kind of serious, so I like to sometimes uh, make it a little awkward before we get into serious stuff. Um, sorrow turning to joy. Look with me at uh, 28. I'm nervous, and she's not even here. Uh, 28 through 33. So Jesus kind of then clarifies. He says some, you know, the magic words here um, in verse 28. He says, I came from the Father, and I have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Now when he says this, the disciples act like they understand. They're like, oh, now we get it, Jesus. Now we believe. Like you, can, you can't see it in the English, but that's what they're doing. They're like, oh, yeah. You know, smile and nod. Now we get it, Jesus. And he's like, oh, now you believe. You have no idea how hard it's about to get. You are about to be scattered. It is about to get so hard for you. Now these words, again, are written so that you might believe. And John's gospel is good news. And yet time and time and time again, Jesus tells people things to dissuade them from following him, it seems like. He tells them how difficult and how impossible and how hard it's going to be. But the reason he tells them that is because it's true. It is true that just because you believe in Jesus does not mean that everything is going to be smiles and rainbows and butterflies. Jesus is telling them the truth. He is telling them the true gospel. Because if he told them anything different, if you've heard any gospel that tells you, okay, I'm going to believe in Jesus, and then everything is going to be okay, what's going to happen the first time you undergo darkness, the first time that someone shames you, the first time that you undergo pain for the gospel? I'm out. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I, that wasn't part of the deal. Right? But Jesus tells him the truth straight up from the very beginning. He's not, we laugh all the time, he's not being seeker sensitive here. He's saying, look, if you want to follow me, you're going to be sorry, you're going to be sorrowful, you're going to grieve, you're going to go through trials, and you're going to go through tribulation, and I'm telling you this so that you don't fall away. I'm telling you this so that you will take courage in the midst of the darkness. That is a promise that, that belongs to everyone who believes in Jesus. And it's true for us. We say we believe, but some of us, we have no idea how dark it's going to get. 
We have no idea how sad we're going to be. But Jesus does, and he tells you it's coming. And the reason you have to know that it's coming is so that you won't be surprised by it, and you'll know the only place that you can go is to Christ. He's the only one that will comfort you. Now again, he is saying these things to his disciples. And John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote them down for us. Now these words the past few weeks um, have felt pretty hollow to me. A couple of you know the past several months have been the darkest months in my entire life. I've felt darkness everywhere. I have felt sadness, unexplainably so. I have a wonderful wife and I have beautiful children and have a church where I get to hear the gospel every week. And it's all felt so hollow the past few months. And three weeks ago, I was diagnosed with medical depression. And I felt so guilty. I was letting my wife down. I was letting my kids down. I was letting my church down. I was letting my co-workers down. And it was so dark. And it is still so dark and so painful. And I'm watching my life from the outside because I can't feel it on the inside. I'm watching and I'm seeing myself play in the floor with my kids and I don't feel it. I'm eating dinner at the table, but it's not me. I'm preaching a sermon right now. I feel like I'm watching myself. And it's dark. And I've read these words on the plane in San Francisco. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And for a moment, there was a glimmer of hope. For a moment, there was joy. And it was in these words, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And it's gone. <laughs> the sliver of joy is gone. The darkness is back. And those of you that have gone through this, you know. You know what it feels like. You know when you can't breathe. You know when you're breaking down and crying for no reason at all. And you wake up in the middle of the night and you are being crushed. Not by God's presence by his absence. That's what his disciples were afraid of. They wanted to be with Jesus. He's leaving? That's the darkness. That's what it feels like. He's leaving. He's gone. But he's not. He kept his promise to these guys. He kept his promise. He told them, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to lead you into all truth. And I'm going to tell you what's coming. 
And because he kept that promise to John, we have those words here. You will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Those are divine words inspired, given to John for us in the darkness. And he told John what's coming. He told him that he is coming. He will return. He will give joy to the joyless. He will give hope to the hopeless. Those of us that feel like we're drowning in the darkness will be overwhelmed by the beauty of his light. That's the only reason that we can take heart. That's the only reason that we can stick together and that we can pray, not because we're going to overcome the world, but because Jesus did. And because we're in that family and we're able to look on and see this conversation from the backseat of the car, we can take heart and we can pray for one another and we can rejoice because he's coming back. And this darkness that we feel right now will be gone. It will be gone forever. Pray with me, please.